With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome. This is Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. The UK is currently melting in a heat wave, but it isn't just the weather that's hotting up. Two weeks to go until the new season kicks off and the transfer market is starting to bubble as well. A new arrival at Manchester United this weekend as Ten Hag looks to bolster his squad after clearing out some of the deadwood at Old Trafford. And there are a whole load of other deals to get us excited as well and to excite fans right across the Premier League. We've got West Ham, Arsenal, Newcastle, all amongst the clubs looking to splash some cash over the next fortnight. I'm Jim Salverson and we welcome back to the podcast after a week hitting the beaches and the surf in Cornwall. <laughs> Niall McCorn, how are you doing, Niall? I'm very good. I feel suitably refreshed after a week away. I think that there's a high chance that I might have had more pasties and pastries than Marley Anderson last week really? <laughs> which is which is unbelievable if you think about it so yeah I think I'm I think I'm winning the pasty race over the last seven days That's a, it's a very Cornish thing a pasty isn't it but at the same time it's like it doesn't really work with having to squeeze into a wetsuit <laughs> at the same <laughs> yeah. time a diet based on pastry it's not very, the best combination. True. <laughs> very true alongside Niall we have Joel Tudor in the studio as well how you doing Joel I'm good we're in the the nice a seed room we get looked oh, after here while nice. everyone listening is probably absolutely sweltering i don't feel <laughs> your pain at the moment estimated pasty consumption over the last week i'm not a pasty guy i did like the cornish pasties when i went down but i'll leave that to marley well you're a sausage roll fan then no nah. you don't like pastry i do like pay you know i'm a i'm the weird guy where if i have an apple pie i'll just eat the pastry <laughs> i've never heard <laughs> of anyone weird. do that before you have now did you know <laughs> here is a fascinating fact that you may or may not know that cornish pasties traditionally one half was savoury and one half was sweet. So half of it would be full of jam and the other half would be full oh, of steak. So you had like... it's A full well, meal. Yeah, so, yeah, so like when workers went out to the fields, they could take an entire meal wrapped in pastry. That's the origin. That's why the crust's so pasty. big on a Cornish pasty, isn't it? Yeah. So that their coal-stained fingers wouldn't contaminate the, <laughs> the food. And you're supposed to throw the crust away. The crust's the best bit. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. Well, welcome to... 
Pasty Social Daily, sponsored by Greg's. <laughs> all the Americans. <laughs> that would be the best sponsor yeah, ever. Yeah. All was, the Americans listening are like, what's a pasty? Yeah, all the <laughs> Americans. No idea. They're firstly got no idea what a pasty is, and second, are wondering why we're whinging that it's like 35 degrees when that's just a normal <laughs> temperature. But anyway, we're going to talk about football today, and we're going to start off at your club, Manchester United, Joel, because they have completed the signing of the Argentinian centre back, Lissandro Martinez, who becomes Ten Hag's third recruitment at Manchester United. As I said, the Cleared out some deadwood, now getting some new bodies in. Christian Eriksen is on board. Tyron Malasia, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, Malasia. He's now on board as well. And now Martinez is the latest recruit. The thing that seems to have got the most attention from this signing isn't the transfer fee, which is the normal thing people focus on. It's his height, because he's five foot nine, (laughs) which is pretty small for a centre-back. Do you think that's going to be an issue for him in the Premier League? You know, the first thing that I've really caught with this is that everyone who's five foot nine has caught some stray bullets from this argument <laughs> so badly. <laughs> I've got so many friends who are five foot nine, and when we debate it, I'm like, oh, wait, you, you guys are five foot eight, aren't you? I don't really want <laughs> to. Tell you what, I wish Marley was here because I reckon he could be five foot nine. <laughs> I reckon he could be. <laughs> five ten I mean, on a good I mean, day. In everyday life, five foot nine isn't particularly short. But Not when, when you're dealing with like the likes of Harlan exactly, backing up yeah, against yeah, yeah. you. Um, for me, I don't really think it's an issue, to be honest. I don't think Ten Hag's naive enough to think that mm. he can waltz into the Premier League and start playing defenders who can't go up against these really big monster strikes monster strikers um, because we've seen time and time again even at United the likes of Lindelof Rojo they even struggled um, physically with some of the smaller type strikers so I don't really think it's an issue mm-hmm. I think we've seen with so many really good shorter in quotation marks centre-backs I think the main thing they have to have is just an intelligent football mind where they get themselves in the right positions they don't leave themselves short because yeah. um, we've seen with Lindelof he's like I think 6'2 6'3 my height he should be physical, but he gets caught out consistently running in behind or stepping off a player too quickly or getting too tight. And from what I've seen with Lissandro Martinez and his stats in the Eredivisie, he is unbelievably composed on the ball. I think he had the highest statistics for the amount of passes played as a defender, the most forward passes played, uh, the most sideward passes played. He, he wins a decent amount of aerial duels as well. I know it's going to be different in England, mm. but... I just think it's been so overblown. I don't think Ten Hag's naive to think that he can just play a defence which isn't capable of going up against some really physical teams. So um, I think he'll be a player who'll be used in certain situations. You know, like, for example, playing against a team which is going to be pinned back and you need that defender who can play it out of the back, find that killer pass, because we don't have it at the moment. Um, So Mm. I think think he's perfect, the perfect mould, and I wouldn't trust... Maguire and Lindelof to play it out from centre-back because they get caught out so much. I mean, he is going to be physical. He's known as the butcher of Amsterdam. He's Argentinian, I mean. Have you ever yeah. seen an Argentinian player who's... Well, Marcus Rocco was known as an aggressive player who played for yeah, Man United, didn't he? super aggressive. And he wasn't... I don't think he was particularly tall, was he? I'm not sure. Taller, but he had aggression which made up for whatever height sure. he lacked. But in terms of those stats that Joel mentions, and he has got decent stats right across the board. Aerial duels won, he's done pretty well. I think he's got more aerial duels won in his last season than the rest of the Manchester United centre-backs combined or something like that. Forward passing, he's got great stats there as well, but how much of that is the fact he's playing in the Dutch league, which is, I think, seventh ranked in the world or seventh ranked in Europe. So mm. it's not a particularly competitive league. And he's playing in one of the stronger teams in that league. Yeah. So 
how much does that change those stats? Because uh, like a marauding centre-back who's playing forward passes and getting assists, you can't necessarily do that if your opposition is of a higher standard because you get caught out. I know what you're saying, and I think that there is an argument there that you know the statistics maybe aren't quite as comparable from the Dutch league to the Premier League. I think that's fair. But also, I think that you know with someone of his height, you need to take into account that he's probably got quite a good jump on him, which might be partly why he's winning all of these aerial duels. You don't need to be six foot six to be winning all of these if you've got a decent spring on you, which it sounds like he does. Mm. And just to go back to the height argument quickly, um, I saw a clip yesterday on Twitter of Bobby Moore making a tackle, and it could have been two weeks ago, let alone 56 years ago. Um, and he was five foot ten. Fabio Cannavaro was a Ballon d'Or winner, a World Cup winner for Italy. He was five foot nine. And he, I think he was the last defender to win the Ballon d'Or, the best player in the world. Javier Mascherano was pretty short, actually. Carlos Puyol was 5'10". He was unbelievable in the air. Tiny. I mean, there's there's so many examples of defenders, particularly centre-backs, who are short, who have still been decent in the air. I know the Premier League is different physically. It's different technically. It's a tougher league than the Eredivisie. I think that's fact. And I think that he will be coming up against tougher opponents, like Erling Haaland, for example, is a, is a big... Um, force when it comes to, to, to sort of coming up against centre-backs and A Nordic Meatshield, if you watch the video <laughs> yeah. that City put out over the weekend. Nordic Meatshield. Yeah. But, um, you know, let's not forget Ajax, although they might be playing against go-ahead Eagles once every couple of weeks in the Eredivisie, they're also playing against teams in the Champions League. Mm. They qualify for the Champions League every season. It's a chance for them to test themselves against the, the best sides in Europe. And as we've seen over the last few years, they haven't reached the later stages, obviously, since that, that 2019 run where they got to the semis. But they've come up against decent teams. And I think that there was one particular game which caught the eye where Lisandro came up against uh, Darwin Nunez, who was playing for Benfica at the time. And he did a pretty good job on him. He managed to keep him quiet. And this is someone who we know is a big, strong, powerful striker who's, of course, just signed for Liverpool. So I think that there is certainly arguments to be made with those statistics for one side or the other but I do think we often have a tendency to prejudge players when they come to the Premier League and say oh can they cut it I mean remember when Kevin De Bruyne signed for Manchester City everyone went oh he's a Chelsea reject all yeah. of the commentary all of the pundits were saying you know he's a Chelsea reject 50 million quid for De Bruyne who's just played in Germany for Wolfsburg is that really a great deal and he comes to the Premier League and he's been one of the best midfield players that the Premier League's seen Mm. And I think that we have a tendency to judge players a little bit too quickly. So, yes, he's five foot nine. Yes, he's come from Ajax, who play in the seventh best league in Europe. But let's give this guy a chance because he could be half decent. Do you think he's going to be automatic first choice, Joel? You say you can see him being used in certain situations and Manchester United have got an array of different centre-back options at the moment, or certainly have at the moment. How many are going to be there come the close of the window is another question. They've got Maguire and Varane, Lindelof, Bay, Phil Jones still at the club as well. So for you, is that centre-back pairing probably Maguire and Martinez? For me, it'd be Varane and Martinez. I feel like okay. Varane probably covers up what Martinez lacks in terms of height, in terms of aerial ability, because I just think with Maguire, even though Ten Hag's really backing his you know, captaincy and the way in which he wants him in the side, I still feel as though he's trying to figure out if he actually trusts him or not. Um, and we've known from Ajax as well, If every, everyone's probably seen his teams in the last couple of years. They always like to play from the back straight away. They never like to waste possession. 
It's never a case of, you know, their keeper hitting it 80 yards and then they're trying to chase it back. It's always a case of being composed in possession. And when you look at the defenders we have, I wouldn't trust Maguire to do that at all. I would trust Varane because that's how he did it at Real Madrid when they were playing next to Sergio Ramos. And I would also probably trust Lindelof to an extent because he is quite cool under pressure. He's called the Iceman in Sweden, apparently, but I don't know where that's come from because he's been freezing every time he plays. Um, but I think if you're going to pay 50 to 55 million for a defender, you would think he's going to start, unless you play for City, where you know they can bench who they want. I think for United to spend that amount, um, the second highest they've ever spent for a defender, you would think that he's going to be in the first team plan. So I would like to see him in straight away, to be honest. But I think Ten Hag's still trying to work out who he kind of can't trust in that defence and who's going to be available because Varane seems to be on the injury list quite a lot as well. So I think Martinez is one that can be available consistently in someone who he actually likes and he knows and he signed as well. So he knows him inside out. Could we see this move helping Maguire, Niall? Because as Joel says, he's probably not the most gifted with the ball at his feet. But if, we've got, if he's got another player alongside him who can play out, that takes that responsibility off him slightly. And also, like Maguire spent most of his Manchester United career playing on the left side of the centre-back pairing. And he's a natural right-footer, whereas you've got Martinez coming in, who's a left-footed player, who could take that left centre-back role. And it allows Maguire to play more on his natural side. Although... I'm always slightly dubious as to how much difference it makes when you're playing as part of that centre-back pairing left and right. I don't know what whether it's not as impactful as, say, if you're playing a full-back position, obviously. Yeah, and I think that actually left-footed, I don't know if Lisandro's left-footed or not, but I think that left-footed centre-backs paired with, right, with a right-footed centre-back, I think that that actually does make a difference. I think it opens the pitch up more rather than if you had two left-footers or two right-footers next to each other. Um you probably close the pitch off a little bit more than, than what you'd expect. Just naturally, you get the more open angles to try and find those passing lanes, I think, if that was the case. And actually, with his statistics for his long passing, like Joel says, uh, and assists, I think he, I think he did he get five assists last season or something like that? And uh, Manchester United centre-backs, I don't think, managed five assists between them in the Premier League last, last term. So... You know, assisting from centre-back is not something that you usually look for in a defender, mm. but maybe in the new Eric Ten Hag style, it, that is what Manchester United are after. They're after someone who's got a, a decent enough range of passing. I think Lindelof's actually a very good passer out from the back. I think his long, his long balls are decent, but there's a question mark over his physicality and his actual just bare knuckles, bare bones defending skills. So I think that, the, you know, you've got a, a crop of centre-halves there which should give Manchester United enough with Varane, with Maguire, with Lindelof, with Martinez. Eric Bailly's been getting games in pre-season as well over the last couple of weeks for Manchester United. So I think that the partnerships there are are, are decent. They're promising. But what Ten Hag does with them is, is another question. How much Maguire will be helped by having another player alongside him, I don't know. Because I think there's been times where Maguire has struggled but whether that's due to the fact that he's just performing poorly or that you know he needs a little bit more help mm. is another question. I mean, a good example would be to look at Liverpool and see how Virgil van Dijk has made Joel Matip a better player, how Joe Gomez looks extra solid next to Virgil van Dijk. And you know, I think that having a player next to you of a certain quality does rub off on you. And you know, Maguire's not a bad player. I think he's had a bad season. I don't think he's a poor player. Um, he'll be looking to draw a line under last term and start afresh and maybe with 
Martinez as a centre-back partner, that will be the option and the possibility that he gets for next season. So it's hard to know at this early stage. I mean, there's still some pre-season games to come. I think United have got a game tomorrow morning against Crystal Palace, so we'll keep an eye on that and see if he plays. Or I can't imagine he'll be out in Australia <laughs> that quickly after signing, but I'm sure he'll probably get some games in the next couple of weeks. And I think that'll be a real acid test to see exactly what Ten Hag's got lined up for the two. Plenty to focus on beyond Martinez's height, but that's exactly what we are going to focus on because, as I said, five foot nine, 175 centimetres tall. I thought we'd play a little game of Premier League star higher or lower. <laughs> are the following Premier League stars smaller or bigger than the one that precedes them? So starting with Martinez, 175 centimetres. Fellow Argentinian midfielder, Manuel Lanzini. Joel, is he taller or is he smaller? I'm going to say shorter by like an inch. He is shorter, significantly shorter, a full seven centimetres <laughs> less, 167 <laughs> centimetres. That is like Matthew Valbuena and that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Scholes, Niall, is he bigger or t- smaller than Manuel Lanzini? He's taller, he's bigger. He is, but only by one centimetre. 168 centimetres, Paul Scholes. Wow. Ryan Fraser, the diminutive... <laughs> wow. Newcastle striker, Joel. 100% shorter, 100%. 100% so you think he's actually no height? <laughs> By being 100% <laughs> he's, just, he's just a tadpole. 163 centimetres, you are correct, he is smaller. His nickname's Wee Man, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> for a reason. Yeah. What about the legend that is Gianfranco Zola, Niall? Taller or shorter? Now, Franco Zola was small. He's thumb size. I think... Fraser is particularly small. I don't know if the same is a cop-out answer. I think Zola is fractionally taller. Five centimetres taller. 168 centimetres for Gianfranco. Zola, one more. The wee man, Sean Wright Phillips. Little Sean Wright Phillips. (laughs) Is Is he bigger or smaller, Joel, than Gianfranco Zola? That's a close one. I think taller but same height exactly the oh, same yeah. height 168 oh, I want hair I want follicles like, I want to see some <laughs> difference no chance they're the same all those players obviously smaller than Martinez Manchester United's new signing as I said earlier there are loads of different stories going around in the papers at the moment there's loads of different transfer rumours and we'll box off some of them next on Football Social Daily including a potential big money move for Harry Kane a new striker at West Ham and a Man City legend who could be set to depart Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, taking a look at the transfer news. It's always crazy at this time of year. There's loads of rumours going around and one of the more unbelievable is Bayern Munich being linked with a move for Harry Kane. This is all because of Robert Lewandowski obviously leaving Bayern Munich this weekend. He's gone over to Barcelona to start a new period of his legacy there. And the Daily Star are reporting that Oliver Kahn, who is now the Bayern Munich CEO, has been basically making overtures towards Harry Kane, saying he would be a dream of the future and calling him a top striker. Do you think we're possibly going to see an audacious bid from Bayern for Harry Kane, Niall? No, surely not. I can't imagine that after Antonio Conte has been given funds this summer to spend by Daniel Levy, who is notoriously tight-fisted when it comes to spending money on players, that season where... Pochettino had a good squad that had reached the Champions League final that had been in the title race, I think it's fair to say, for a large portion of that season. They ended up trophyless. Mm. They didn't make any investments that summer. They didn't sign any players. None. And I think that that is still something that Tottenham fans rue. They still look back and they think, oh, if only we had invested in the squad and strengthened whilst we had a good team, we could have actually won something. Obviously, Now they've got Antonio Conte. We know what he's like. We know that he won't pull any punches. When it comes to what he wants, he will get what he wants. Otherwise, he'll leave. And we've seen that. And Daniel Levy has decided that he is going to dip into his pocket. And there was a statement released a couple of months ago saying that Spurs were going to spend up to £150 million or they've invested new capital, was the actual official wording of the statement, in the club, which will be used to fund new players. They've signed new players. They've signed Perisic who we know that Conte knows well and is a decent player from his time at Inter Milan. Um, obviously, they've they've signed other players as well. Richarlison has come in from Everton, someone who has Premier League experience. So I can't imagine that after all of the strengthening that Tottenham have done this summer so far and the players they've brought in and the statements that they've tried to make to their fan base, as if to say, right, we've got a world-class manager, we're going to strengthen the squad and give ourselves the best possible opportunity to win something again that they would then go and sell Harry Kane. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think Antonio Conte would lose his marbles if that (laughs) happened. He'd go absolutely ballistic. Yeah, he'd be, you know, Daniel Levy would be paying for another hair transplant with the Harry Kane money would would be the case if he did leave. Bayern Munich are looking for a striker, yes. But I think that they're the sort of club that are able to pick up a striker from the German league or even the Spanish league, really. And they, mm. I don't think they need to be going and hunting for the big guns. They signed Lewandowski from Borussia Dortmund for a decent enough fee, and he's become a world beater in his time at Bayern Munich. They signed, um, I know he wasn't a striker, but Arjen Robben from Real Madrid. I'm not even sure if, whether that was a free transfer or not. It might well have been, but they've, they've managed to pick up these good deals by Munich. The German clubs are are well run. We know they've got this kind of 50 plus one fan ownership model that seems to work particularly well for the the bigger clubs like Bayern Munich. And I just don't see Tottenham A selling Harry Kane and Bayern Munich being able to stump up 100 
150, at least maybe even 200 million. Do they even have that pulling power anymore, Joel? Because Bayern Munich don't, they're not the giants they once were, are they? They're not the team that you see regularly in the final of the Champions League, and they don't feel like they've got the same status as they maybe had, even, even as recently as five years ago. They've always been a club who they've never really gone all out in the transfer markets. They just know who they want, and it's pre-arranged like years in advance that that well run. I think they've just signed Delict from Juventus yesterday, yeah. uh, which is an amazing signing. But that's the type of, type of signings that they make. They're very calculated because obviously Ronaldo has been flaunted to every single European club, and I think Oliver Kahn, their CEO, has basically said he just doesn't fit with the philosophy of the kind of strikers that we go for, which. They, they, that, this is what I mean. They fit. They go down a certain route. They don't want anybody breaking the wage salary bracket, and they don't want any kind of individual egos which are going to disrupt such a. It's a really unique kind of culture they have there. It's it's probably so different to any of the top European clubs I can think of. The only issue is that replacing Robert Lewandowski, like Niall says, it's fine in the Bundesliga because they can pick up. You know, Skamaka from Sassuolo probably scored 20-25. But if they want to go for a Champions League again, I think they're going to have major issues because when you lose a player who's averaged 35 to 40 goals a season and become some of the top scorers in the Champions League, I think he's the third top scorer now, um, you're going to have an issue trying to compete. Obviously, you can put Thomas Muller there, who's, I mean, he's not the player he once was. You could put Serge Gnabry there as a false nine maybe, but... I think if Harry Kane doesn't win anything this year and I think his future basically determines where Antonio Conte goes because if he goes at any time, they're going to have such a downfall in terms of who they can attract next. Pochettino, I don't know if Harry Kane's going to want to wait for him again. Um, And then it's like, who else do you go for? Conte kind of goes on a one-year rolling basis. He's never going to stay at a club and things can change very quickly as we've seen when he was at Chelsea, when he was at Juventus. Um, so it would be the type of signing that buy and make, but like I say, they're not going to go and spend 150 million on Harry Kane. They're so precise with what they want to pay. Um, for me, I think they'll just end up doing a shrewd signing and buying the next best mm. buying player, like Nkunku, for example, and putting him as a striker because they'll win the Bundesliga doing that. But the Champions League is the one that they want to compete for, and. Without Robert Lewandowski, who is what one of the best strikers in the world still, he probably still will be for the next two to three years, which is why Barcelona have bought him. Um, it's a massive void to fill that. Mm. But I think they're happy to buy the time. I think they were banking on trying to get Haaland, but they just couldn't have the pulling power that City do at the moment. And it's exactly like you said, Jim. Maybe a few years ago, Haaland would have been a sure fit for buying years ago, where they would have done a pre-arranged transfer, but it's not the case anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see how they replace him but they have they have so many numbers they can alternate so well but um yeah Kane could be one for next year let's not forget they did sign Sadio Mane not that long ago as well yeah, yeah he's, he's quite good sign. He's all right. <laughs> yeah. it's not bad. let's move on to my club West Ham who are apparently getting closer to signing their man the interest in Amando Broja has been ridiculous and going on for months it would seem he was on loan at Southampton last season from Chelsea the Daily Mail today reporting that a loan deal might be more interesting to Chelsea, whereas I was hearing they were very keen on a permanent deal not that long ago, but clearly they see some potential in Broho if they want to keep him on their books. Does that feel like the kind of deal that might get over the line, Joel? I mean, I think it's... We're not going to see Broho in a Chelsea shirt next season. Which is surprising. Well, maybe he hasn't quite reached the level, but considering how short Chelsea are in the 
forward department in terms of like someone to lead the line and how unsuccessful their centre forwards would be, you'd think that maybe they'd give them a go. But Newcastle are interested. West Ham are interested. It does look like it's going to be a loan, though. Honestly, if I was Chelsea, I'd be I'd be a little bit worried because every single time they keep letting go of these talented youngsters, they end up becoming world beaters quite quickly because they've got an amazing academy. Um, the amount of players that they've let go of, you know, like Gray, who's looking amazing at Crystal Palace, Conor Gallagher, who luckily they managed to retain him for once. But I really liked Broha when he was at Southampton. I thought he had something to his game, which the way in which he plays reminds me of Suarez a bit. I'm not talking about how good he is, but just the way in which he's so aggressive going forward. He's only 20 as well. Mm. And I think with Chelsea's situation as, as the strikers go, you just lost Lukaku, who you spent £100 million on, and now you're probably going to take an £80 million loss if they're lucky. You've got Broha, who's 20, who could either go stratospheric in terms of his ability or maybe just meander and become a pretty average player. I'd, if I was Tuchel, I would take the chance. I mean, who else can you get as a striker now? Are you going to play Sterling as a false nine? I don't trust Havertz to lead their line for them next season because I just don't think he's prolific enough. Werner, not prolific enough. And then who else do you get? Who's a striker who's available right now? There's not many. So unless there's a buyback clause, I think for West Ham, I think it'd be an amazing mm-hmm. signing. Obviously, they went for Darwin Nunez last year. Benfica knew what they were going to get the next year. That's why they completely shut it out of the water. But I think for West Ham, if they can get him at 20, he's already proven. I think he got, what, 10 goals in the Prem last six. season? Oh, was it only six? Yeah, so six in 32, which I thought it's one in... Five and a half games, isn't it? It's not great stats. It's considering, Southampton, though. But considering the the praise he was getting last season, he's a good player. I do. Like I him. just think if Tammy Abraham couldn't cut it at Chelsea, he did get why, twenty one season. Why though. would? Bro, is, yeah. is he an out and out striker though, bro? Because for Southampton, and I didn't watch a great deal of Southampton last season, but he kind of played slightly wide, didn't he? Like I know you're a big Southampton uh, observer. Yeah, Niall. I'm not the person <laughs> to ask that question to. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I think he's. I think he's decent. I agree with what you're saying. I think he's got loads of potential. I just think that you know, if he had scored 15 goals last season in a bang average Southampton team, who let's face it, even with my biased Portsmouth fan hat on, they were pretty poor last year. Mm. Um, he only scored six league goals. If he had scored 16 or 15 in a team that really had nothing else going for it, then maybe we could be having this conversation about him leading the line for Chelsea. But did he show enough? In his first season as a Premier League player at 20, I think he probably did. But then to go and lead the line for a Chelsea side who are looking to try and compete for Premier League titles and win Champions Leagues and stuff like that, is he the answer? Now, they've got Tammy Abraham, who I said they let go. They signed Lukaku for 90 million and they were ruthless. They let him go as well. See you later. You're not up to it. You're gone. And Michi Batshuayi is still there kicking around in the background. I'm not sure whether he's on loan again or whether he's under contract or whether he's been sold. I've no idea what's going on there. But in terms of options, Joel's right. They don't really have many forward options. So maybe this is the perfect opportunity for Breuer to come in and uh, and kind of stamp his authority. And, you know, pre-season's underway at the moment. So that's the biggest indication, isn't it? You know, if you score loads of goals in pre-season and you show that you're good enough to compete for that starting spot, then it's up to the manager, obviously, after that. But... You know, you need to do what you can in that preseason period to prove that you're good enough to earn a spot in the squad for the start of the Premier League season. So we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I like him. I think he would be a good signing for West Ham. Is he quite good enough for Chelsea? With no disrespect to West Ham, I think that Chelsea are probably at the next level above in terms of what they're looking to achieve. 
West Ham probably will be aiming for a a, a chance of gate crashing the top mm. four again next season. And maybe if they can win an FA Cup or something, that would be brilliant for them. So, yeah, I, I think maybe um, Breuer is someone who is for the next five years rather than the immediate term. You mentioned he can prove himself in pre-season. He's just been sent home from the Chelsea training camps. So he's no longer with the first team, which suggests there is a <laughs> move on the horizon. And he certainly yeah. won't be getting an opportunity to prove himself within that first team. As I said, there is a bit of a cult hero potentially leaving Manchester City as well. Zinchenko, who is much loved by the City fans, but maybe less loved by Pep Guardiola, could be on his way to Arsenal. The deal is expected to be done today, £30 million. This is coming from the Guardian. And he's one of those players, Niall. I like him. City fans like him. He seems like a really useful individual to have within a squad setup because he can play left back, he can play left midfield. But... He's never really featured as a mainstay in Pep Guardiola's team. Do you think he's been a bit underrated during his time at the Etihad? I think so, because he first arrived and he was a central midfield player. And he's still got the tendency to cause problems, I think, if he played in the middle. But as Pep Guardiola likes to do, he just takes random players and turns them into left-backs. He did the same <laughs> with Fabian Delft, didn't he? Um, then he tried to turn Kyle Walker into a goalkeeper. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's just never yeah. happy. I just think that in terms of him being underrated, I think I probably do agree with you. I think he's good enough to get into into several sort of mid-table Premier League teams mm. quite comfortably. I think I think he'd get into West Ham's team um, as a starter. I think he'd get in... I mean, he was linked with Everton, I think, at one point as well, a few years back, and I think he would definitely have got into their team. So I think that he is a, a very underrated player in that respect, yes. But in terms of game time, Pep Guardiola has said this on record, particularly actually this summer. I think there's a few interviews he's done uh, in Spain or in Spanish where he's uh, admitted that this will be the case. There is rotation at Manchester City. As Joel said, literally at the start of the podcast today, he said that City can bench who they want. Mm. And that is exactly what Pep Guardiola does. You get a run of games in the team, you play four games, then you'll be benched for two. Then you'll play two games and be benched for four. That's just kind of the way Pep Guardiola works. And I think that players, as much as they will never get sick of winning trophies and winning silverware, I think they do want to play every game. And I think that's natural for a footballer to want to play every single game of the season, no matter whether it's a, a dead rubber at the end of the campaign or whether it's a cup semi-final or something like that. Players want to play every single game. Zinchenko's a, a very useful player. I think he is underrated, as I've said before. But I also think that there comes a time in a player's career where they're going to get a bit fed up of playing sort of not a full season. And Zinchenko will play a decent amount of games in a campaign for Manchester City but he's probably reaching a point in his career now, what is he, 27, something like that? He's probably thinking, I want to start playing first-team football every week. I want to be on the team sheet every week and not occasionally I'll play when Cancelo needs a rest or occasionally I'll play when the manager wants to switch things up. And Pep Guardiola has openly admitted as Manchester City manager that if you feel like your time's up at the club and you feel like you're not able to sort of put up with that rotation anymore, then you're more than welcome to leave. And that's not a... If you don't like my ways, then get out. I think it's more of a, an understanding mutually between coach and player that this method that I have isn't suited for mm. everyone. And, and unity and togetherness is important for Pep Guardiola, oh, maybe huge. more so than other managers as well. Yeah, absolutely huge. And I think that you need to understand when you play for Manchester City, who have a small squad, by the way. People say that they have a massive squad. That's just not true. They have a very small squad. I think they have probably have got, have got about 20 players which all rotate and play regularly. 
And so it feels like they've got monumental squad depth. They do in terms of the quality. They don't have four left backs. They don't have four right backs. Mm. And they've got two. They've got Zinchenko and they've got Cancelo and then they might, you know, bring someone else in from the academy if there's a sort of a League Cup game or something that they, they want to give them a run out in. Well, you, so. you need t- two good options in every single position on a football pitch. Yeah, so it's just a 22, you... 22 player squad really, yeah. isn't it? Um, so, uh, I mean, you can take that down to 20 because City didn't have any strikers last year apart from Gabriel Jesus who tended to play out on the left anyway. So I think that there is definitely a case for Zinchenko being underrated. I think he's a good player. I think he'd be a good addition for most, if not all other Premier League clubs. Maybe he's just reached a point at Manchester City where he does just want to play a little bit more regularly. And I think most City fans will agree. you just got to understand that. I think that that is uh, the nature of the way Pep Guardiola does his business as a manager. And I think that there should be no concerns that Manchester City will be able to find an adequate replacement for him should he move on. We've praised Arsenal's business, Joel, this window already with some of the players they've bought in. I mean, they're breaking their strategy here of signing a player that's not called Gabriel. So that's a bit (laughs) of a disappointment. But they seem to be bringing in players that aren't necessarily first string, particularly if you look at Gabriel Jesus, who came in from City as well as Zinchenko now. Is there an issue with that? I mean, we all know in this room where Arsenal are pitching and it isn't for a Premier League title. But Arsenal fans will still believe that they should be pitching for a Premier League title. So are the type of signings they make going to be looked at favourably by the fans who probably see themselves as a higher status than they might be? I don't think it's a case of pitching for these players. They don't have a choice. This is the level that they're at. And I think Arsenal fans sometimes forget that they can't aim for the top tier of players because Arsenal maybe from 15 years ago, isn't quite as an attractive proposition as it is now. And I think it's the it's the right strategy also because we've seen when they've signed, for example, Nicolas Pepe, who was one of the most talented young players in France for a good, what, 75 million. And now they'd be lucky to get 10% of that right mm. now. So they're going for players who, well, first of all, Gabriel Jesus has played under one of the best managers ever. He scored goals consistently under him. Um, these are the types of players that you need who you can trust because I think in the past they've gone for players who maybe they shouldn't have where they had a hell of a lot of potential but they've just not proven it elsewhere I think good examples of that were Meza Ozil and Alexis Sanchez who were absolutely world beaters especially Meza Ozil at Real Madrid he was one of the best attacking midfielders in the world bar none Um, Alexis Sanchez another one similar to Gabriel Jesus where he had unbelievable talent, but he just wasn't getting game time at Barcelona. And I think it's good to see for Arsenal fans, the likes of Zinchenko and Jesus all coming to Arsenal, not because of a payday or not because, you know, they're just coming for the manager. They're coming because they want to play. And I think that's the best motivation you can get from a player who, you know, has been winning titles. They're sacrificing guaranteed trophies every single year just to play for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a really good sign going forward. But now it's all up to Arteta to see if he can mould it all together because they have missed the striker, especially last year. Lacazette was such a a hindrance for them. Um, And obviously Aubameyang left in weird circumstances. So at least now they've got a player who, I don't know if he's going to be a 20-goal-a-season striker, but he's proven in one of the best Premier League teams ever that he can produce... um, and also they've signed, like for example, Fabio Vieira, who I don't know 
a massive amount about, but they've signed players for the future as well. And that's the way that Arsenal need to do it. Yeah. Because we've seen, even with the most expensive transfers, they very rarely work out anyway. So I think you do have to just build from the bottom, start building a nice youthful platform with a bit of um, experience with Jesus, Sinchenko, Bring, who've got an mm. amazing technical ability, and then just mould it together. So I think Arsenal are an interesting yeah. club to watch this season. I'm not saying they're going to win the league. I'm not saying they'll you know go undefeated or anything like that, but they're definitely going to be a little bit more of a cohesive side last season because he's definitely filled all of the blocks that needed to be filled which was so evident last year a bit more exciting to be an Arsenal fan at the moment I think the spending you think back to the start of last season where they'd lost three games in a row conceded mm. three in each game and mm. were bottom of the table without a goal scored went into the international break and we were all saying you know Mikel Arteta he, you know he's a dead man walking and there's been a few occasions where Arsenal have gone on a run and then for instance last season where they they, they did they bottled the top four by losing two or three games in a row against opposition that they really shouldn't have lost to. And that allowed Tottenham in to then go and sweep and pinch that final Champions League spot. And I think that despite all of that, Arteta has weathered those storms and he's got the backing of the owners and he's got the backing of the sporting director. And I think that actually he's probably used his contacts at Manchester City to get Gabriel Jesus to possibly sign Zinchenko, which oh, looks likely as well. And then Edu is obviously Brazilian, isn't he? Um, knows the club well and so has those Portuguese and Brazilian links to bring players in there so I think in terms of who they've brought in and what their project is Joel's right they've got a very young core with players like Saka and Smith Rowe Ramsdale's actually very young it's as far as goalkeepers go isn't it we talk about it a lot at football yeah. clubs like Manchester United will buy available players rather yeah. than necessarily buying what but we can see as a strategy but it's patience though Jim isn't it it's patience I mean when they lost those first three games at the start of last season I think there were a few people crying for him to yeah. get sacked. There were a few people crying for him to get sacked when they lost three times in a row towards the end of last season when they, they missed out on the top four. But one thing we always say about managers, and we'll say the same about Ten Hag, is they need time. They need time to put their ideas into place. And you need to take the rough with the smooth. You need to accept that there are going to be bumps in the road. And, you know, we've seen a few people say that Mikel Arteta should be sacked. And Arsenal stuck by him. And if they go on now and win some silverware, that which they, they already have under Arteta, by the way, in his first season, they won the FA Cup, didn't they? But if they go on and do it again, I think that those sort of decisions to stick by him will be justified. And I actually think this is a pretty exciting time to be an Arsenal fan. I'm quite keen to see how they do this season. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. I've got one more transfer I want to touch on quickly, and it's Ivan Tony, who's been linked with a few clubs so far this window. A return to Newcastle was on the cars. West Ham have been interested because as a striker and West Ham have been linked with every striker in the Premier League. Leeds also interested, apparently. I guess they see him as an understudy for Bamford, who's had his injury problems and is injured again in Leeds United's pre-seasons. But the latest club to show an interest in Ivan Tony is Manchester United, which feels like a big step up from Brentford to Manchester United, doesn't it, Joel? Yeah, it it would feel like, for example, when Luis Saha came from Everton, it's that kind of signing where he goes alongside the better guys to just fill in, get like 10 goals a season, keep us ticking away. Not as a first choice for United. I mean, I know he's very outspoken with how he is at Brentford. He's not the most uh, complimentary guy when he comes to talking about the club he plays for. No. And I'm sure One feels particular like video was, slight, was incredibly <laughs> yeah. uncomplimentary. It feels like a Zaha way. It feels like a big fish in a small pond, I think. Um, he could do well at a bigger club, but for United, he would be a, he'd be a squad player. I don't know where these rumours have come from. Um, I feel like he's just good where he is. He got 12 goals in the league last season, which is always good for a newly promoted side to have the striker who, I think in the championship, he was one of the top scorers, wasn't he, the previous season? Mm. So for him to translate that into Premier League form is pretty rare. You know, in, in the case of, for example, Mitrovic, um, he scores, what, 42 goals in the championship and he'll probably end up getting 10% of that, if that. But uh, I think he's a good player. If he's only 26, he's still probably yet to reach his peak. But I think in terms of United, it's maybe a step too far. He's got goals though, hasn't he? Yeah. He does, he does, and it's not, and it's, don't get me wrong, it's hard to get 12 goals in the Premier League. You can't underestimate that. Potentially, it could, this is what I mean, he's the signing where if we were in City's position where we had a sure fit side, we had a named striker, I'd be like, all right, this is a pretty shrewd signing, to be fair. It'd be like a Danny Ings type where you bring him in, get him in the FA Cup games, get him in the Capital, uh, Capital One Cup games. As a as a starter, I'm throw him in seventy minutes. Yeah, put it in the mixer. Every <laughs> last of time. Yeah. Who do you fancy to play up front for Manchester United this season, then, Joel? Because Martial's back from his loan in Spain. Ronaldo's not bothered. Ronaldo. I, don't know where I, I mean, he is. no one knows what's going on with Ronaldo. Let's be honest. He's MIA. Presuming that Greenwood won't play for the club again, which looks likely at this point in time. Um, Marcus Rashford, we know, is better as a left winger than this than a centre forward. Although he can still do it. I mean. Do United need to sign an Ivan Tony just because that's a conventional number nine? Because the only other option is Martial. I think this is the worst window for a number nine search just because they are rare. They are absolutely rare these days. I think Ten Hag, I know that United are still in the market for a a striker, which has been pretty widely reported, but it's... Who do you go for? I mean, Paolo yeah. Dybala has just signed for Roma. I thought he could have been a decent fit. We're two and a half um, weeks away from the first game of the season. And it's not, you need to, a striker needs to bed in with his with his yeah. attackers to understand where mm. they're at. I think Ten Hag is going to bank on trying to have some kind of resurgence from Martial or Rashford, which is a dangerous, dangerous game to play because Martial didn't even score when he went on Sevilla in the Sevilla loan. And Marcus Rashford is just coming on the back of his worst season ever. So. You're saying a resurgence for Martial. What, what, what's he going? What's he resurging from? His first what, year. Literally. Was, it, was he that good? Uh, well, two years ago, he did get 20, uh, yeah. 20 goals in the Premier League. He was in amazing form. That was during that COVID okay. year, the NHS year, <laughs> I call it, with the badge in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he was amazing that season. 
but banking on him to you know be the guy is dangerous territory so it might come to the case of having to get him but then Brentford will say well he's our talisman he's the guy who's going to try and keep us up so we want 40 million for him and then do you say is that worth it mm. maybe not I'd rather keep the cash and go for someone next year could Brentford be <laughs> heading for that difficult second season Niall potentially I mean they Ericsson they haven't lost Ericsson because he was a free transfer so it's not like someone's come in and taken him but he didn't stay at the club and he made a huge difference when he came in halfway through mm. last season in terms of Brentford I mean it's difficult to argue that he kept them up, but he certainly helped contribute to the second half of their season because they were wavering at that point. Yeah. And if they lose someone like Ivan Tony, and they've um, they've done reasonably well in the transfer market so far, they've bought in what is it, Lewis Port or Karim Lewis, I forget his name. They've got the, the young winger from Hull, who's a decent acquisition but unproven. Mm. It could be tricky for Brentford this season if they lose a couple of key players. Yeah, and I think that we've seen. You know, that term difficult second season be thrown up a couple of times in the last few years. You look at what happened to Sheffield United, where they came up, played this unique system with the overlapping centre-backs under Chris Wilder. They kept largely the same squad. They made a couple of decent additions. I think they signed Sander Berger, but it didn't really pay off for Sheffield United. And then their second season, they got relegated. Yes, there was that dodgy goal line technology decision, um, which some people will look at and, and, and say, I know that was a, a different campaign but it was one of those where you know they looked good in the first season in the second season they struggled Leeds United very similarly um, very nearly dropped down back to the um, championship last season where they, they struggled a little bit so I just think that that there is a different mentality when you first come up to the Premier League you have this desire to stay up. You have this desire to prove that you're worthy to play at the level, particularly for players that have spent a large portion of their careers in the Championship. They come up to the Premier League and they give everything in every game, which is the least you'd expect as a fan of any of those clubs. But I do think that, firstly, Premier League teams are smart. The tactics are so much more in-depth now than they used to be and teams will figure you out. And secondly... Um, I'm not sure if it's complacency, that's the right word, but certainly you do kind of relax a little bit. I think I've picked six teams that could potentially get relegated and Brentford was one of the least surprising in that list alongside I think Everton and Leeds, I think, have a potential to have slippy seasons as well. They're my outside bets. But there's plenty more to happen over the next couple of weeks in terms of the transfers. Season kicks off in two weeks. Transfer window closes in six, I think, and we'll keep you abreast of it all on Football Social Daily. So make sure you've subscribed and followed wherever you're listening to podcasts. And don't forget as well, we've got a brand new Twitter account for the Football Social Daily podcast, which is just focused on all things Premier League football. To find that and the podcast, of course, as well, search at FSD pod. If you already follow the Sports Social account, you'll find the links on there and you can click through, but make sure you give the new account a follow at FSD pod, and we'll see you for the next Football Social Daily. Cheers, boys. Cheers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.